Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm a little sick, that's why my voice sounds like this. Let's move on. This week's episode is about scams. I have to admit that I am a former, perhaps current, scammer, depending on your definition. But we'll get to that in a minute. In the public, we tend to have two versions of scammers the criminal, and the aspirational. Endless documentaries, uh, well, document, the types of scammers who leave people traumatized and destitute, giving voices to the victims when financial crimes are so hard to actually prosecute. And then the other types of scammers, the ones who build themselves up from lower class to higher class, who gain entry into places we at the audience would love to go, those are aspirational. And those types of scammers are only beloved in the past tense. We love them because we live in fear of being caught. What would it look like if we took what we wanted by lying, omitting the truth, doing something mildly duplicitous? I think of Mila Kunis telling the casting directors of that 70s show that she was going to turn 18, technically true, when she was actually 14, securing the role meant for someone older, thus winning her big break. Worlds away from the Tinder swindler systematically taking months to love bomb and gaslight women into going into massive debt for him. Initiative. Hustle. Lack of shame. Desperation. Audacity. I don't judge scams as moral or amoral. The only differentiations are who is getting scammed and who is doing the scamming. Are we punching up or punching down? That's all I care about. 
It should be no surprise for longtime listeners of Bad With Money that I'm not a fan of adhering to the rules of normative society. A lot of them are meant to maintain class and economic roles that keep people in the demographics who listen to the show in their place. And why are we in that place? And why do we accept that? That's the crux of my first interview, because you cannot do an episode on scams without the Scam Goddess podcast host herself, Lacey Mosley, who has somehow scammed her way into becoming the go-to scam expert. JK, but really, she has. Now, as Lacey will tell us, a lot of it is sheer confidence. But there are, of course, other factors. There are less opportunities for scammers who don't, quote-unquote, look the part. Confidence and lack of shame will get you far. But a certain vibe or look is how you get in the door. And baby, it's all kind of a scam. Over the years that I've done this show, and even before that, I've always had the delusional idea that I deserve upward mobility. And I say delusional as self-deprecation because in my lowest moments, I often berate myself for my arrogance. What makes me think I deserve anything good? What makes me think I'm better than what I've been told by the world that I am? I come from nothing in Florida. No family connections in either journalism, my first line of work, or in Hollywood, where I am now. I moved to New York and then to Los Angeles, not knowing anyone, and without any connections beyond the two people who'd read my blog and told me I should move for more work. I did not get that promised work, by the way, for a couple of years. I wasn't allowed into galas at museums or VIP movie premieres. So I'll tell you all a story from my life 11 years ago. In 2011, I had, as I alluded to, a semi-popular blog on which I bragged that I could meet and interview Stephen Colbert. I had talked a big game. Colbert was then a newly hot commodity because the Colbert Report had taken off. Getting to him and asking him anything would be a big deal. And here I was bragging on my blog as a nobody that I was going to speak to him within a year. Sheer delusion. But I really believed it and worked tirelessly on all avenues to make it happen. I tried all the straightforward ways, looking for publicists for him, for his show, going through comedians who might know him, people from his church, someone who shared a vocal coach with him, everything. Nothing was happening. Who did I think I was? After exhausting all the avenues, I needed a scam. One day in April, I got wind that Colbert was going to star in a four-night engagement of the musical Company at the New York Philharmonic. To kick off the show, there was an exclusive $2,000 plate dinner gala at Lincoln Center. I called to try to get tickets. They told me not only was the price tag in the thousands, but I needed a board member's invitation to even purchase one. I had blogged about the experience at the time, and for this episode, I went back and looked at what I'd written as that Gabby over a decade ago. Quote, it was strictly New York society elite. Aside from not having the money, I didn't have the connections. So what did I do? My friend Alyssa and I snuck in. I had originally planned to wait at the stage door to hand him flowers with a note asking him for an interview. I didn't want to bother him or take up any of his time in the moment. I was just going to give him this note. I wore a black dress and heels, wanting to look like maybe I'd seen the show, though tickets for that were also so far out of my price range. While we waited, we tried the doors. Why not? And they were open. So then we went inside the building. I held my phone to my ear, pretending to be busy, and we casually walked right past the security guard. Alyssa and I jumped a maroon velvet rope, and then we were inside the gala. I should say here that Alyssa and I are both white. Both feminine at the time, both in our early 20s both in clearly cheap clothing. At the gala, most of the guests were older than us by two decades and very obviously wealthy. Alyssa, who was classier than me, recognized Hamish Bowles, the European editor-at-large for Vogue. Colbert had not shown up yet. 
Tempting fate, we even introduced ourselves to the chairman of the Philharmonic, Gary Parr, and thanked him for the lovely evening as if we'd seen the show. And he bought it. We also saw Alec Baldwin there. It was that kind of New York crowd. Everyone sat down in their assigned seats, and it suddenly became very obvious that we didn't have ones. We were kicked out. Then we tried to get back in as waiters and were caught again. All in all, we were there for a few hours trying to make this happen. I wrote then, as we were walking away, the press camera crews were exiting. A few of them told me Colbert hadn't done any interviews inside and had only stayed at the gala long enough to cut a cake. Ten minutes. He'd been there ten minutes. We'd been there for hours. I did eventually get to speak to Stephen Colbert, by the way. I actually fulfilled my goal. But that's another story about how I got tickets to his show, gamed the system in order to get called on for the Q&A, and then introduced myself to him and got to ask him two questions, thus fulfilling my interview requirements. Um, And I actually had a really good time. Maybe one day I'll uh, explain to you how that went down. But he was delightful. And I did, through another scam, end up getting to talk to him. Reading this account of what I was like a decade ago, not just this account, but the account of how I actually did eventually speak to Stephen, I thought about my youthful audacity. I looked up the meaning of the word, and it fittingly has two definitions. One, a willingness to take bold risks, and two, rude or disrespectful behavior. The two types of scams, depending on how you look at the world. So first, we're going to speak to scam goddesses Lacey Mosley for more on the first definition. My name is Lacey Mosley. I'm an actress and comedian, and I'm also the host of the podcast Scam Goddess, where we talk about robbery, fraud, con, and all the lovely people who participate. What makes something a scam? I mean, scam is like such a loose term, uh, simply because all that is required of a scam is basically using some sort of deceit to get over or ignoring established rules or social norms uh, to get what you want. Um, You know, so that could be breaking the law. That could be cutting in a line full of people by telling them, you know, yo, water about the break. You know, so it's like from very large fraud to very small little schemes, I consider a scam. Why are you interested in scams? Recently, I was moving into uh, my new place and my cousin was helping me like unbox everything after the movers left. And he found a box that had a bunch of like wristbands in like several different colors, like <laughs> sheets of wristband, like green, blue, red. Like, And he was like, what are these for? Like, do you need these? And I was like, oh, those are my um." those are my entry wristbands he was like what do you mean i was like so when i go to events and i don't necessarily have vip i just look around and see what kind of wristband people got on and then i just i bring one in every color and then i just put one on he was like are you serious i was like yeah yeah so you know like i've always loved getting over i think rules are for other people and as long as everybody follow the rules then i don't have to that is brilliant uh yeah i like that rules are for other people but it's funny yeah because on your show you go through even the smallest scams where people share their like you know things that they've done like that versus people who are doing like massive frauds like bernie madoff style taking advantage of people so like where where, when a scam starts to involve money is that when it gets like kind of more morally gray Yes, because it depends on where the money is coming from. We're always about punching up. We're not about punching down. So I don't like to hear when the girls are like, oh, my life savings. First of all, I don't even like the term life savings. I feel like you're putting a little bit too much on the money. And and then, you know, that usually ends with like repercussions being very serious and sometimes people taking their lives and stuff when they lose that kind of money. Um, For me, like 
those when when it's being punched down and people give their last to something i don't like those kinds of scams i think they're predatory but if you're like punching up and you're stealing from the billionaires and the venture capitalists and the people who are hoarding money in our society anyway then i'm like yes get it go off like rob them <laughs> yes <laughs> it's it's like a what are what are some of the best like small time scams that people have shared on your show? Do you have like a couple favorites? Ooh, the best small time scams. Let me th- Yeah, there's there was one where I uh had a person tell me about how they would get uh the Mountain Dew caps when it would be like, oh, you get like a free soda. They started like remaking the free soda thing in the cap in other caps. So then they would put the sticker inside the cap and like come back with several caps. So they were just slowly stealing Mountain Dew, uh, you know, from the company, uh, you know, and like, that's so small and harmless. And I thought that that was very funny. Uh, so, you know, those are some small time, like the tiniest. Uh, one time I went to a nightclub and with my girlfriends, um, and this is the first time I saw Beyonce in person. Um, it was like, oh, the first time. <laughs> I, listen, I haven't. We haven't spoken yet. I've just been breathing her air, you know, and I was slowly working my way towards. Hopefully, she will acknowledge me as a human life form. But it was All Star Weekend. It was in New York, and we were at the Forty Forty Club, which Jay Z owned at the time. And they weren't letting people into the VIP VIP because, like, Beyonce was there, right? So we were all we all just consequently were wearing black dresses. So one of our friends like suggested, like, y'all just let's just pick up these cups. So we picked up some cups and we put them over our head like we weren't there. And it's All Star Weekend, so they hired random people. They don't know who was all in there. So you know, you just put the cups up and just walk with purpose, and then you know we're VIP, you know. <laughs> So, little tiny harmless scams too. Is it like a fake it till you make it? Or is it something where you're just like, no, I don't accept that these are the the rules of where I'm supposed to be as a person. I deserve to be here. Yes, I think it's a combination. The day that I started working in television and no longer really even wanted to do commercials was when I started booking commercials. When I would show up to places and be like, all right, my meter got 15 minutes. That's all y'all got. Like, I don't even want to be here. Like, when you have the energy of like, this is not worth my time, people are so horny for you. They're like, oh my God, her, her, the one who's napping in the corner, the one, the one, (laughs) like, the one who knows none of her lines and and literally is on the phone during the audition. Like, her, we want her. Like, because she doesn't want us. It's just like dating. So there is the one fake it till you make it aspect of like if you act like you already belong people will believe it but then there is also the thing that I try to empower everyone with which is that there's no such thing as these class rules and they are all imposed just to keep us down so if you have the belief in yourself then you can achieve anything you know what I mean look at Bernie Madoff he started out mowing lies honey and then by the end he was on the PJ he was on the private jet Charles Ponzi walked so Bernie Madoff could fly in the PJ (laughs) He was mowing lawns? Yeah, Bernie was a hustler coming up. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's one where people like lost their life savings, which I think is like hard because you're you're exploiting trust, but it's also like it's it's also this thing that I think like certain demographics of people earn trust where they don't deserve it. Like I think like white a white guy like that like, what are his credentials? What are, nobody will just quest, no one will question it. Which is wild to me, because it's like, has anybody cracked a history book? The last people we should trust are straight white men. I know, and as I've, as I've gotten further into learning about the stock market too, like, almost everything involving the stock market has been a scam. Like, 
money managers scam. Like people who say like, oh, I can do your stock market stuff and I'm going to make it like this so that, you know, if you lose money, the bank makes money or they make money. Like it's all almost everything to do with finances is a scam. Yep. And even the companies that started like Robinhood, which were like, we're going to demystify stocks and we're going to, you know, when the whole GameStop thing happened and, and, and basically the power has shifted away from the hedge funds and to the people, Robinhood was like, wait, 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 y'all turn Robinhood off. No more trades, girls. Like, you know, they sided with the hedge funds. They sided with the big bangs, um, which is why I think crypto is so popular right now is because crypto, like basically the stock market in a way is so dominated by these kind of like old figureheads, these pillars, you know, because it's been around longer. And so these crypto bros are like, how can we get in on, you know, stealing people's money when this is kind of <laughs> locked up? So now we have a new currency for the girls and it's, it's all about equality. Everybody can get in. And it's like, why, why do y'all need to have Super Bowl ads to help me make money? I've never seen a white man who made money be like, Hey y'all, I'm making a lot of money over here. Would you like some? Never. Giving Ponzi. <laughs> Giving you need a lot of people to get involved. Hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, a, it's, it's such a scam too, as I've learned more and more that with the stock market, like the way to make it work, you have to, this whole thing of like democratizing it, you sort of need money to make money. Like in, in order to, time is on your side, but also like, unless you have a bunch of money to burn or to like, used to then compound it's not really gonna work for you in the way that they're selling you it's gonna work for you no because that money has to be tied up once once you give away those assets to or you know buy into a cryptocurrency or an nft then you're looking at computer money like you can't just you can't sell off immediately you won't make anything so then you're just like oh my money's in the computer oh the computer <laughs> looks good today Ooh, i can't wait to do something with this computer money <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm absolutely like that too. And my partner makes fun of me. My partner's like the imaginary money that you don't have, like is going up and down. Good for you. Like, no. Ooh, I can taste, I can taste the steak. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get it at Mastro's with my computer money one day. My computer mm. money. I know it's so true. Um, so why do people love hearing about scams? I think that scams have really exploded in the zeitgeist because one, I believe that the pandemic really gave a lot of people perspective. So if you're an essential worker, you learned like, damn, they're paying me ass money, but all of a sudden the girls need me at McDonald's. Like I thought, I thought that this was a, a job that you got if you didn't achieve in school. And all of a sudden this is a job that keeps the economy afloat. Wow. So I should be paid more. You know, everyone got a different perspective, no matter where you were of like, we've been lied to. We've been led astray. Bamboozled. The American dream. But I do love to see people sharing like, oh, your boss needs you to do certain number of keystrokes. Here's a, a system that'll uh, let that happen while you're napping. Like, I kind of love it. And like, I think that I think that people, you're right, have woken up to like that being fine. When I was uh, first starting in New York, when I got my first job, I used to like fill bags with granola bars from the break room. I used to take toilet paper, like, yes. and now I'm like, you know, that's like, uh, we're not being paid enough to not do that kind of thing, whether it's like a quote unquote scam or not. So I think people, I also think people like hearing about it because they 
it's kind of aspirational. Like they want to be smart enough. They want to think that they are the person who could pull this off. Yeah. But one thing I do want to say is that I learned uh, during this whole process. And I think that people who listen to my show learn is that just because you're scamming does not mean you're not employed. There are a whole scam professions. They don't all enter. You have interpersonal scams. So you have the guy on the street who's panhandling, telling the story about his wife's in the hospital. And like, can you walk with him to the ATM and give him some coin? That's a whole day's work. He's doing that all day. Bernie Madoff was working. He had an office. He had books to cook. Literally. He was cooking them books when he got raided by the FBI. They were printing out the new, like, um, accounting books, like literally. And then they were putting them in the freezer so that the paper would cool down because it was hot off the press, literally. And then they were tossing it back and forth in the office place so it would look more worn down. Like, they, like they, I, this is like literally something he did when he was getting raided by the FBI. So it's like people, the scammers are working. Like it's not an easy job to be a criminal and very stressful because you're constantly worried about getting caught so that's one thing that i learned because i thought that like scams meant like you get over easy and really a lot of scams are a lot of work you know but the payoff is great what kind of person is good at scamming the kind of person who's good at scamming is someone who is believes their own hype somebody who you know farts and smells and is like "Mm, okay like (laughs) You have to really like believe in yourself and because confidence is most of the battle is people putting like being like, oh, this person can't be scamming me because look how confident they're doing these things. Like there's no way they don't belong here. That's half of it. Like I tell people, if you go someplace, you don't belong there. Act like you don't want to be there. And people be like, wow, like they must be somebody really important because if you're looking around like, wow, they're like, how they get in here? But if you're looking around like this is it. Oh, that's all y'all got for beluga caviar? That's what y'all got for crew to say? No, I'm gonna take it. But, (laughs) Oh my God. Like the whole Anna Delvey thing, right? Just like looking like you are the part. I talked to Sarah Edmondson, who was from the Nexium documentary, and she was saying that like the people at the top were scamming, but then the people below that really believed that Nexium was like a good thing. And that's what allowed it to prosper was because they were being scammed into thinking, no, this is really actually great and didn't believe that it was a scam. So it's almost like two types of people are working in tandem. So um, those kind of scams are always uh, interesting to me because the leaders have to be charismatic. They have to be interesting. They have to be successful because you have to see just like in churches, which are like, they're cult adjacent, but you know, you're Joel Osteen's like, if you're like, oh, our, our, uh, Pat, our preacher is making all his money off God. He pulling up in the Rari and nobody's like noticing like how he get the Rari us, <laughs> us. Yeah. Oh, it's something that I've always wanted to talk about on this show that, uh, I wrote about in my book, which is the prosperity gospel, which is part of that sort of scam, which is like, if you have a lot of money, you deserve it. And so like the people in churches and even people that supported Trump, it's this thing where they're like, God has given these people money because they deserve it because they are better and they're teaching us. So I don't mind that I'm poor working for this man to have, as you said, Arari, because God has blessed him. 
Which is the ultimate scam. Aspirational billionaires are killing us. Like, truly. I've watched, like, one thing I love to do on Twitter is I'll go under comments and, like, if they're talking about a billionaire, people hoarding wealth, or, you know, the Bezos, the Musks, you know. I'll go and I'll start reading, like, the comments from people defending these people. And then I'll click on their page. And then I'll see, like, what their name is. I'll see if they're on LinkedIn. I'll, like, do a little deep dive on them just to see what their life is. And they never have, like, lucrative employment they're never rich but in their minds the american dream that we've sold everyone the scam is that if you work hard enough that you could be a billionaire one day so they protect billionaires because they're like one day i'm gonna be there and i'm not gonna want people taking my money when in reality like statistically mathematically you're never gonna get there ever absolutely um i wanted to talk about something that i love that you talk about on your show which is the despo meter um, so can you explain the, the Despo meter and how it puts you at risk? So the Despo meter is basically a quantifiable, like it's not a, a, an exact size, but the, just think of like a meter, like from like, from green to red, yellows in between orange, like how desperate are you when you encounter a situation that doesn't seem quite to curl over. You know what I mean? Like when something seems too good to be true, when someone's offering you something that it's not all the math ain't math, right? So if you are desperate, if you're in your despo meter and you're close to red, you're in the orange, say like your financial situation is taking a turn, you're in debt, you need money, you need money on a timeline, you got to pay rent, you know, things that are urgent, you need money urgently. You're more likely to get involved in a scam and ignore every red flag that you see because your hope is is that you can solve the problem that has created the urgency in your life so sometimes scammers prey on people who are already high on the despo meter so you know like maybe you're in college and you don't have a lot of money or maybe you just moved to a new city and you're trying to get a job like situations that make money more like instantly necessary for us and then they also will create desperation so if they call you on the phone and they're telling you there's an emergency and they're telling you there's a short timeline or they're telling you hey we hacked into your phone and we got that nude of you diddling your skittle and we're gonna send it to every one of your contacts if you don't send us money in 24 hours, like they'll put a time cap on it to create the desperation if you don't already have it. And in those situations, you are way more likely to get scammed because you're ignoring a lot of things that you wouldn't if you had money in the bank. The desperation that's already there, I feel that's why it's so dangerous for sex workers or that's why, you know, it 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 hits a certain population. The fact that there's so many payday loan centers just in areas of the population that are largely black and brown, like mm-hmm. next to liquor stores and gun stores. Yes. And that's like feeding off of the sort of despo meter and the people that they know are in those areas. And then the second one is like what happens with those elderly scams? What are what are some scams like that where they'll call and it's kind of like more about um, giving you a timeline. Facebook is a place that a lot of people are getting in trouble with. If you are on Facebook, please, if you're listening to this podcast, go on your Facebook, take off your family members, take off your spouse, take off related to who, birthday, birthplace, all that should not be just easily accessible all in one place because a lot of these elderly scams are happening because they're calling your granny your grandpa who you're not calling often enough and they over there lonely watching victor newman on young and the restless and they're just happy that the phone going ring-a-lang-ling and that's how they're getting over on these people is like they're finding your information and look 
I'm not saying that you're going to be able to take it off the internet completely, but you can at least make it less accessible by not having it all in one place where they can just go on Facebook and read your posts, read all the people you're connected to, all your interesting facts, and then call you on the phone and pretend that they have some affiliation with your family. Who is doing this? Like, who are these people that are doing this? Um, Sometimes they're in America. Sometimes they're not. A lot of them like to communicate through WhatsApp. Um, So it, it kind of really depends. But these are just people who do interpersonal scams. They're kind of in the same relationship as the people who do love fraud scams, except for love fraud, which accounts for a large, like, I, like an overwhelming percentage of scams, like hundreds of millions of dollars a year are love fraud scams, but they take more time. What's love fraud? So love fraud is where someone who's lonely is on the internet looking for companionship or connections and scammers in different countries and also in America will kind of target people who they're like, you know, they'll go on above over 50 websites and they'll like target, you know, women above 50 who have financial stability, but perhaps, you know, like, look, we all know as men get older, as women get older, the prospects shrink down to nothing. As men get older, they be nasty and they'll just start going into, you know, uh, age ranges that they should not be in. So their pool is much larger. And that's not to say that women don't cougar, but like overwhelmingly it's men. And so women who are trying to date someone their own age, like that dating pool is so small when you get to a certain age that they, these scammers will come in and infiltrate on your, you know, despo meter of love and of connection and of affection. And, um, what it leads to is like, they'll have conversations with you. Maybe y'all have a lot of email correspondence. Maybe you communicate through WhatsApp. Maybe you have cell phone conversations. They convince you that you have a real relationship and then some disaster will happen. You know, they'll be in the hospital. Their son's in the hospital something happens where they need money quickly and they always promise to pay it back or they say their bank account's frozen or something like that and then you end up giving them what you think is a loan and then you never hear from this person again and wire transfers can't be reversed also employment fraud so a new scam especially that wrap like really um kind of ex really exploded during the pandemic was people getting on Monster, people getting on LinkedIn, people getting on Indeed, all of these websites where you're looking for employment. Maybe you got laid off or furloughed during the pandemic. Maybe you're looking for a work from home position. Maybe you want to leave Trader Joe's or or whatever, you know, job is. I'm not going to say Trader Joe's is actually pretty good to their employees, but like, you know, uh, whatever grocery store you're working at, you don't want to risk COVID anymore for minimum wage, right? So now you're desperate looking for a job that's going to be safer and, you know, hopefully pay more. And so you go on Indeed, you go on Monster, you update your LinkedIn and stuff. There's scammers on these sites who post fake job listings. And then once you click on it, they'll do like a fake interview with you. They'll hire you. And then they'll say, okay, as an administrative assistant or as the person who does this, the first thing we need you to do is like go to Walmart and buy these gift cards and like give us the gift card information. And then, and we'll send you a check. And sometimes they'll send you a fake check before you do it and you'll deposit it and a lot of banks like you don't get the money right away bank of america will only give you 300 out of a large check because they want to make sure that it's not going to bounce but some banks will give you half of the amount or whatever then you go make these purchases give them the gift card information and then in a few three to five business days that check is bounced there was no money in it and now they've robbed you so a lot of people are using job postings to also scam 
we've created this desperation by not having any sort of social programs that could help anyone. And then the people who are doing the robbing are also desperate. Like I always think like I got, uh, I got mugged and I was sort of, and the guy had a baby in the car. Right. And I'm kind of, and drove off and I'm kind of like, yeah, that sucked. But also like, I assume he needed something for that baby. I, I think it's, we've created this cycle weirdly of like, trying just trying to survive which is why sometimes you can't even be mad at scammers but also the people who are the victims are you know oftentimes not the right people we should just be scamming the rich people i don't know how we all get to that place but and that that's the thing is is like hand hand scams love fraud all this stuff on the computer this is easily accessible we could all start doing this today if we wanted to but like scamming rich people you have to like walk the walk talk the talk like seemingly you know uh ingratiate yourself in these societies like a rudy kirkenau rudy kirkenau um was the person who did uh the wine fraud and there's a, a documentary wait what is that so there's a documentary about him on Netflix called Sour Grapes. That's really fun. I also did an episode with uh, Betsy Sodero about him that I believe is outside of the paywall. It's like the third episode. But Rudy was a man from Southeast Asia um, who had changed his name a bunch because his family was scammers in Southeast Asia. He comes to America. He gets involved in like an affluent society of people who like buy old world wines that are really, really expensive. We're talking about wines that can go for upwards of like $35,000. An industry you don't even know is a thing. Yeah. Get into an industry you don't even know is a thing. It's so rich you have never even heard of it. Right. This is like the Koch brothers buying like wine off like Christopher Columbus's boat or some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. And they have like these huge sellers because that's the thing about hoarding wealth. You get to a certain point where you don't need the money and now you're just spending it on stupid shit. And he started cooking wine in his kitchen like he was making crack. Um, he kept his house a like really low degree temperature so that it was basically his whole house was a wine cellar. Um, and then he kept a little heater in his room so he could like actually be warm. But he would cook the wines up. He was just on the stove, cook, mixing up a bunch of different red blends, pouring it into a bottle. He would make the labels and copy old labels. And he would like do the shit that you would do in seventh grade when you made a project and it was like an old map or something. Like, Burning the edges, and he would put some tea on that bitch so it have a little stain and whatnot. And he would slap that label on, and he would take it to auctions and made thousands and thousands of dollars selling fake wine. And he actually went to jail for it, which I thought was bullshit because taxpayers pay for jail. Who does that hurt? Rich people. Yeah, I'm sure somebody. I always think that about art fraud. I'm like, faking paintings is sort of like, <laughs> I could get down with that. <laughs> So what are some ways that people can avoid falling for a scam? Time. So if, like, think about it. You didn't have this once in a lifetime opportunity yesterday. You didn't, you know what I mean? You weren't thinking about it. So think about, like, give yourself a day or two. Talk to some friends about the opportunity. Really read what they're giving you. Do your Googles and see who this person is. Give yourself an opportunity to gather all the information before you make an impulse decision. Um, another way this comes in, like, when I was talking about the blackmail fraud of, like, people being like, uh, which has happened to me recently. Like, sometimes people will figure out your password and a lot of us have one password that unlocks our entire life. So, I actually got an email, and I've had tons of listeners re write in about it, but I got 
an email to myself that was uh one of my passwords that is like the the real code cracker and it was like we have your password we logged into your cloud like we saw you masturbating doing your home passion you're nasty nasty bitch and we're gonna send it to everybody that you know if you don't respond and send us this money and but I was like I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like, they're going to do the work to send this out to my phone to everybody. They're not going to do that. They're just going to keep sending the same email to people so that and whoever pays them pays them. And so it, I gave it some time. Nothing happened. But if and in the same, if you get an opportunity that seems a little weird, like, oh, buy these gift cards or, oh, we need you to put some money up front before you get money back. Give yourself some time to think about that. Because a lot of times people get scammed by things like that because they act too quickly and they don't consult anyone or they don't think about it because they're desperate. It's really just about time. Yeah. And about and about thinking through, is this logically a thing that would happen? Like, is this a thing that could even like someone could someone hack into my like camera on my computer? I don't think so. But and then you listen, you just watched for hours hoping that I was going to masturbate. You just sat there like, mm, no, she's going to do it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about you and um, and get scammed by you being a scam expert? <laughs> if you'd like to participate in my scam, Scam Goddess Podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we also have an Instagram where we post all the photos we reference on the podcast at Scam Goddess Pod um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then if you want to follow me, D-I-V-A-L-A-C-I, Diva Lacey on all platforms. First season of My Carly's out on Paramount Plus and the second season of The Black Light Sketch Show is streaming now on HBO Max if you want to. ABC's the con. Yeah, Tain ABC's the yeah. con. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of TV if you actually would like to also see that scam that I've somehow started running. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get into the second definition, beyond rude and disrespectful. Dangerous. Our next guest is YouTuber Amy Ordman, who shares her story of being scammed as a new immigrant to the United States. Roommate and housing scams are particularly awful to me because where you live needs to be a safe space. And also scamming immigrants is just horrible. Here's Amy's story. I moved to LA seven years ago and I moved in with a woman from Craigslist, very naively, and um, she was a scam artist and she scammed me. Okay, so you were moving internationally, which I think is precarious, which allows this woman's scam to thrive, I think. I yeah, no, well, that was, that was the scam. She only scammed international people. Uh, okay, so start at the beginning. <laughs> Um, okay, so I moved here in 2015 and from Sydney and I was looking for a place to live and I went on Craigslist because I don't know why, like, so, so stupid. I didn't have a lot of money. I've lived with people from Craigslist. I used to do that. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Um, I, I don't know. I like never lived with a roommate before. I didn't know anything. So then I found this lady, she seemed cool and fine, and I wanted to live in Studio City, because some people I knew lived in Studio City, and then, um, you know, I, I paid her in cash, which, like, I don't know why I wasn't thinking at all, I was just like, oh, woman, you know, I'm safe here. So I moved in March 1st, and then on March 3rd, I was, like, job hunting, and she came home in a rage 
And um, she was like yelling at me. She was banging on the table. She was slamming doors. She was saying that I was too loud and I wasn't supposed to be home in the middle of the day, which um, was obviously ridiculous. When I looked into it more, she had five different last names. Like, I don't know anything about her, really. I moved in in New, in New York City. I moved in to a apartment I found on Craigslist and the guy who owned it was like super Christian and he was like if you live here you can't have anyone sleep over and this big thing of G- of big like statue of Jesus has to stay and I was like <laughs> okay because it's like you don't know any better you have no idea you're like in your early 20s you're like that seems right for renting an apartment right, right. never rented before I didn't know the rules like she said I wasn't supposed to be home in the middle of the day I'm like okay Okay. <laughs> right. You have no idea. So you're just like, you want to find a place to live, which is very vulnerable. And so I was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, can I cover the Jesus? And he was like, no. no. And I was like, okay. Right. I know. And I was like 21 and like really desperately needed a place to live at that point. So it was just like, you know, not a good situation. Really? So on the third, you paid her in cash. Paid her in cash. She probably insisted. Then on the third, she said... I'm angry at you. Yeah. Um, then she told me that that was my 30 days notice, which was confusing because <laughs> I had, you know, a three month lease and she just seemed like so weird and freaky for being so upset because she, her thing was that I made like a big noise at 8am, which is impossible. It did not, it didn't happen. So I got two of my friends to come and like pack up all my stuff. And I left literally that day. And I, we signed this thing on a little paper saying that she would give me my deposit back. Like when she got someone new to move in and she would give me the rest of my month's money if she got someone to move in, like, let's say like in the middle of the month, which was obviously not true. <laughs> so she was just running this constantly. Yes. Yes. I know. Okay. So annoying. But anyway, then I was, you know, texting her being like, hey, like, when can I pick up my money? Da, da, da. And she would just send me the craziest text messages. She's like, I'm going to call the police on you. Like, uh, come near my house and, you know, like, you'll be sorry, all this stuff. And in my stupid mind, I didn't realize I was getting scammed yet. So I was just like waiting until, you know, the 1st of April. And then I was going to like get my 1050 back, which obviously was just not going to happen. I was like on a J1 visa and it was like through Australia. They gave me this lawyer. And so he started calling her and then she got even more angry. <laughs> so she was like, you need to take your fake lawyer and like get out of my, you're harassing me, da da da. And so the last thing I sent to her was um, like, hey, like have your lawyer to speak to my lawyer. Like we don't need to talk anymore. And then after that, she sent me like 15 more text messages, minimum, honestly, like it was 15 at the time that we went to court. But um, she sent, she started sending me all of these messages uh, like being like my friend at the FBI is like looking into you and like your status. She, she was like, you're illegal. She sent me like, she's holding like, welcome to the United States, like a guide for new immigrants as like something to freak me out, which I guess she thought that I was illegal, but I genuinely wasn't. So I was just like, 
okay, like, what are you going to do? But she, I mean, the fear is that then ice comes and pick, like, picks you up. <laughs> but for what? I know, but this is so uh, sinister in, like, a deep way because she's playing with people's immigration status. I mean, this was scary in and of itself, but it would have been way scarier if, like, I was doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. And then she started telling me that I owed her money for damages that didn't exist, obviously. What were you doing when she was screaming at you? Gonna cry? It was scary. She was like, I was, I felt she was gonna hurt me. Were there any red flags? Like, what was she like right before this? Or, like, when you first moved in? No, there were no red flags. She was like really nice, really like quiet. She said she was a life coach, which is so funny. Um, And she like had a cute dog. She invited me to her birthday party. Oh, I guess like the only strange thing was that she told me not to talk to anyone else in the building. (laughs) (laughs) She, I'm sorry, what? She said like, yeah, they have uh, problems with like subleasing. So like, don't talk to anyone. And I was like, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, it, I mean, that kind of makes sense, like, slightly, but yeah. Okay, so so she's sending you, welcome to America, bitch, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, literally, she's like, I'm going to take care of that. Um, and so my lawyer, I guess, like, looks up her name in the system and finds out that she has five different last names. She finds all of these, like, small claims courts, things against her by people exactly like me, by, like, people from Australia or England or, like, wherever. And um, they're all exactly the same. Like, she became unhinged. And then, um, you know, I was afraid. I left. She kept my money. She harassed me for months. And, and he also found someone in her building had, like, a restraining order against her, or they had, like, a mutual restraining order against each other. And she said that he had, like, done all these terrible things, which it wasn't, it couldn't have, like, it just couldn't have been true. And then, so I reached out to that guy, and he was like, she's crazy. I had statements from all of these people in the building, the landlord. Then this guy gave me all these statements from the other people that she had done this to. And so I had a pretty good case. (laughs) I'm sorry, the landlord knew that she was running this scam and didn't kick her out? Yes. Well, there was like, I don't remember exactly why they hadn't kicked her out, but they kicked her out. Like she did this to one more person and then she got kicked out. (laughs) That is so, like he just like knew, the landlord just knew this was going on and was like. I know. I know. I don't know. I don't remember why like they did. Cause I asked the same thing. I was like, why are they not evicting this person? And I think maybe because she had been there for like many, many years and they like don't want to evict people. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. Okay. So was there any way that you could have Googled her before you moved in or known any of this? Um, I'm sure there is Gabby. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess, like, look her up in the system. You can go to, um, like, downtown or and just, like, search the person's name <laughs> in the system. And then whatever has happened to them, like, just pops up. So then I found out that she had repeatedly done this scam on other foreigners as well as, oh, yes, larger scale fraudulent activity that was, like, some other really big thing against her about like this guy who had invested 180 grand in her business, which um, she obviously just used for herself. So we ended up going to small claims court 
I sued her for the money owed. She maybe even countersued me for damages that I had caused or something. I don't quite remember. And they tell you, like, at the beginning of Spall Claims Court, with all the people, like, all the scams in the room, they say, like, if you don't have to pay this money, you can lose and you don't have to pay it, but then your credit's going to go really down and people could get a lien on your bank account. So I had, like, tried to serve her, I would say, a total of six times. Not me, personally, because you're not allowed to do it, but the sheriff or whatever um, had served her with this small claims court thing and um she dodged them six times how do they even find her to make her show up in court if i were her i just wouldn't even show right well if if you get served if they're like is your name gabby dunn always say no (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, so then eventually because she was also at the same time on trial for this other restraining order case she got served at that trial date which is so iconic, yeah. But then also, like, it, I wonder if she has any ability to feel embarrassed or anything like that. She can't believe that she's right because it's it's constant. Like, she's still doing it to many people. It's interesting. I was just, they played with that. Like, I was just watching Inventing Anna, and they were they play with that. Like, how much does she believe it? Is she delusional? Is she doing it on purpose? Like, it's so interesting with, scammers you're you're not sure i know because she seems so unhinged that it's like she kind of like had to believe some of it yeah or like she thinks that i mean but the systematic way of going after foreigners and taking the money and then two days later kicking them out is like you have to and like is that worth the money that you're making i i don't know it can't be. But then also she made two grand in three days. So... Yeah, so this is the thing, is that scamming is is work. Scamming is a lot of work. And she did make two grand in three days, I guess. That's one way to put it. Were you given the lawyer for free? Yes, luckily. Super lucky. And then I think she was counting on most people to just drop it because they don't want to, you know, like get in touch with police or anything. And that's what, um, like, my lawyer said to me, too. It's like, this isn't about what your status is right now. People are scared, and, of the, and, you know, they should be. But I was not dropping it. I'm like, my dad used to say that I'm like a Rottweiler. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to drop it. And I wasn't going to drop it. I was like, this girl is going to give me my money back. She did it. Oh, my God. So what happened? So I go to Small Claims Court. And um, so before court, they tell you that you have to switch your evidence with the person just like outside. So you can like just take a look at it, which I didn't know. So we go, we switch evidence. I'm looking through these fabricated texts that she has written from me. These like outrageous, like so obvious texts. She sent texts from me being like, haha bitch I'm gonna mess up your whole spot and like like I'm taking all my like I don't know just like these crazy things so I'm reading through these texts and I'm like this liar so I look at her and I'm like you know this is illegal right and she goes you're illegal and I'm like I'm not the first thing I say is like your honor you can take my phone every text comes from an IP address she had 
just really bad evidence. I don't know. It was just really bad. There was like nothing to it. I, she had printed out a, sh a photo from my Instagram um, of me wearing shoes on the beach. And the caption was like something stupid of like, yeah, like I'm crazy. I wear shoes on the beach. I like something so stupid. And she, that was like her evidence. And I was like, queen, I have statements. Other people had brought her to court. So they take that into account or no? I am sure they do. They kind of have to. Like my the first thing I said, this is Jenny Dunn, aka Jenny Audman, aka Jenny Zoll. Like, you know, it was it was just like showing that she's, you know, this way. So this took up a lot of your time. A lot, a lot of time, a lot of time, for sure. And that's part of it. The scammer is hoping that one, you're a foreigner, so you're not going to know what to do or you're not going to want to do anything. Two, you're going to be ashamed. And three, you're not going to have time. Yeah. It's like, I hate her. She must suffer. But she didn't. And it's annoying. But it, that's, you know, it's life. So what happened? Yeah. So I won. And then... Um, she didn't pay me, obviously. And then I served her bank. They put a lien on her account and they gave me the like, I want to say $230 that was in her account. And she was still like threatening me being like, I found where you live. So I want to say a year later, she sent me the final text, which was about how her friend in Africa was dying. And if I didn't take the lien off of her account, she was going to sue me for like murder or something like that because she needed to send her friend in Africa money uh, because he was dying. And so I obviously didn't reply to that. And she has never paid you? No. And that's what she was saying. Like, if you take this lien off my account, then I'll pay you. And it's like, no, you won't. You think I'm stupid? I'm not. Wow. So, so you just had to eat the cost. Yeah. And she keeps that money. Yes. And I know that she did it again because the neighbor that, you know, her neighbor let me know that the next person she did this to, she actually physically attacked and like went into their room, smashed up all their stuff. They were recording. She took their phone, smashed it on the ground. Um, but then they were too afraid to speak to the cops when they got there. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Even with immigrants, it's scary to talk to the cops. But the other people that you spoke to that she had done this to previously, they have the same experience? I'm sure. And do you have any backstory on her? Like why she would do this or what? Right. I don't know. I don't think that the... I mean, the reason is to get money and not really have to work. Well, this would be like way worse than just getting a job. <laughs> like, I think I would be like riddled with anxiety. She is working. But how... What was the $180,000 scam? Um, it was a business venture that this guy had invested money in um, that she just spent. And, that, and then did he get paid back? No, there's no way. Where is she going to get 180 grand? Like she would have been in jail, surely. Right? I, I really don't know. It's very interesting trying to, again, like having just watched Inventing Anna, the friend goes to the cops and they're like, sorry, which like I think is largely people's experience with the cops. That's my experience with the cops. How did this affect you later on, just monetarily or even like traumatically? Um, Definitely monetarily. Like that was a huge chunk of the money that I had moved here with. 
And then like, I was really hoping to get a job pretty quickly. Um, and then also, yeah, just with like trusting police, like when she said like, I found where you live in Hollywood, um, I went to the police and they said like, let us know when she comes there. <laughs> it's going to be too late by the time she comes here. Are you joking? Um, they don't care literally at all. And that has happened like a few times, really. Like there was this, this is not a scam, so it doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, just like ate up a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my time. Um, I could have really been focusing like all of that energy on something better. And then also I was like, I will never live with a person that I don't know again. Like, there is, that is not going to happen for me. And it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Where did you live after that? If you didn't have, you know, money for another down payment? I went to go stay at my friend's house. Um, and so I stayed with him, I think like that whole month, honestly. And then I stayed in a couple Airbnbs. Um, but that was like so terrible. Like this guy um, told me, he's like, yeah, like I you know, I have this job, so I'm going to be out all the time. And like, you can just have that be into yourself. And, um, that was not true. Um, he was there all the time. Like he just quit his job. And then his parents slept on mats in the kitchen. Ah, that's the thing is that people are so desperate with housing that, that this is what allows these scams to, to, flour like to flourish. And also financial crimes are so hard to prosecute. That is horrible. I'm so sorry that happened. It's okay. It was a long time ago. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think it's good for the people listening to hear about you taking her to small claims court and you, like, I think there's a lot of shame involved in getting scammed. And so, like, just to talk about it, I wanted to have you on just as someone to talk about having gotten scammed and, you know, what that was like and stuff versus just, like, an expert to talk about, like, scamming, you know? Right. And the sad, the saddest part about it is that it wasn't worth it to try and get the money back. It just wasn't even worth it. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about you? Obviously, you're an excellent storyteller. So um, yeah, just my YouTube is my name, Amy Odman. Amazing. Thank you so much. During our interview, I couldn't help but notice that Amy kept blaming herself, repeatedly calling herself stupid. The reason these types of financial scammers go after vulnerable people is because we feel the shame of the situation and we think it's our fault obviously be vigilant, but the reason these are scams is because, as Lacey said, these scammers are working. They're looking for you. You are not at fault. That is someone else's definition number two. Rude and disrespectful behavior. Dangerous and awful. And to everyone trying to become definition number one, remember that everything is basically a scam. Like everything. And you deserve to be wherever you want to be. I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. If you want me to tell the rest of the Colbert story, maybe I will on this week's mailbag. We are also on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. It really means a lot when you listen day of. Please, please, please. And again, if you're interested in the second part of the Colbert story where I do actually talk to him, let me know. Maybe I'll do it on the mailbag. Okay, thanks. Bye! Done.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.